Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, I chat to athletes, coaches, and industry professionals about their sporting journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Guests range from Olympians to the everyday lover of sport, but the message stays the same. There is so much more to sport than what meets the eye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'd love to hear from you. Before introducing this week's guest, I just wanted to jump in and let you know that last week's guest, Carol Cook, has her new book releasing this week. The Force Within, from police officer to Paralympian, Carol takes readers on the journey of what she learnt from the police force and how that transferred into her life as a Paralympic gold medalist. Let's hear from Carol about her new book. I started in April during the first lockdown and I finished it August 25th, the day the games were supposed to start. And I had a publisher by November 13th. Friday the 13th, it'll always be a really good day for me um, because I got an email back from a publisher saying, yeah, we want to publish it. So it comes out August 1st in all good bookstores near you. It's from police officer to Paralympian. So it's basically just lessons that I learned through policing, my policing Mm -hmm. career, but also lessons because my grandfather, my father and my mother were all police officers. And so it's kind of a, it's biographical. It's, it's the history of my family basically in policing and where they came from and, and how, you know, my mom was like the 14th woman ever hired on the Toronto police force. Uh, so it was, you know, she was like kind of groundbreaking, you know, at, at the beginning. And they certainly didn't do what I did when I joined. Yeah. So just lessons that I took from them all along, along the way. So and then how those lessons got me through, you know, moving here, moving mm-hmm. across the ocean and, and my diagnosis and yeah, just where I've ended up, I guess. If you enjoyed listening to her episodes, I highly recommend getting this book. You can find a link to purchase in the show notes. This week's guest is Maria Alexidis, an Australian karate competitor who competes on the international stage. I had a chat with Maria while she was in hotel quarantine after returning from the Olympic qualifiers in Paris. Maria not only competes, but also coaches and is on the board of Karate Victoria, hoping to make a positive impact on her sport. In this episode, you'll hear Maria's journey and the passion and love that she has for this sport. Part two will be released next week. Let's get into it. Can you tell us a little bit about your sport and how you got into it? Okay, so sport is karate, of course. Um, actually, I was never meant to start karate. We took, we used to watch a lot of martial arts movies with, with dad, my sister and my brother, and my brother wanted to be like Bruce Lee. Um, so my dad, well, me, my sister and my brother, along with my dad, took to sign up my brother at the local karate school. Um, and the instructor there turned around to my sister and I and said, why don't you two give it a go as well? We kind of looked at each other and we were about 12 years old. I was 12, my sister was 11. And we kind of looked at each other and looked at the class. The class was full of boys. Now at that age, a girl wants to be with other girls. And I think the instructor heard us say that. And he's like, oh, there are a lot more girls. They'll be here the next class. Just give it a go. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it. And so 
yeah, we went along to the to the next class. There weren't that more girls. There were only two more girls in that <laughs> class. That were there. <laughs> but we became good friends. Yeah, the rest is history. I'm kind of a bit of a perfectionist, so I kind of like once I start something, I need to finish it to the end. Didn't realize there was no end to karate. <laughs> um, yeah, and so that's how that's how I kind of began in karate. And it was nothing to do with sport karate. I didn't mm-hmm. even realize that there was this other aspect of karate, this competition side. It was just basically karate and you've got your grading system and, you know, everybody wants to get to their black belt. And that's all I knew about karate for years, really. Oh, wow. And you said that there really is no end to karate. And I, we've had a few other guests on that have done karate. So once you've got your black belt, which is what you know anyone would kind of think outside of the world of karate is the pinnacle you can you can go further into is it the dan system yeah there's the dan grading system so yeah you get your your black belt which is your first dan and then you've got your and next black belt second dan third and it goes right up to continue it to continue it any further than black belt i suppose there's not a lot of people that do that yeah, it just all depends on how committed you are. And, you know, some people just want to achieve that black belt and then say, I've done it and that's enough. And other people just keep going. I think once I got to my black belt, I didn't really want to even grade from my black belt. I actually enjoyed being brown belt. <laughs> I had just started competing around that time. And I remember back then, um, and I was really enjoying competition. Um, and back then, if you were a brown belt, you could also compete in the black belt divisions so I was enjoying that I was having a heap of competition because I just loved competing so much so I never really wanted to grade to black belt and I was kind of forced to grade (laughs) yeah and then after that I honestly did not care about the grading system Mm -hmm. hierarchy in karate there's a hierarchy everywhere and I can't I'm not comfortable with hierarchy graded and I graded to, to my fourth dan and I haven't graded for like 10 years or something or longer gosh and fourth dan's amazing though like what an achievement like you that's your black belt times by four pretty much <laughs> yeah 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 no it's it's great and like you know I really commend those people who just keep grading and keeping it for that long I think to be committed to anything for that long is is crazy and you've got to really really love something so um yeah it is an achievement yeah but it's more a personal thing than anything else um I think once once you get to your black belt and going through all that it's just it's more and and karate is one of those things where you're not being tested against what anybody else can do or or not do it's more a personal development thing and how much you've improved or you've your your learnings Mm -hmm. from it rather than being compared to anybody else so yeah oh I really like that and you've been doing it for over 30 years so was there a moment that you were like yes this is for me this is where I belong I was thinking about this question and I don't I don't know that there was anything like the thing that kept me going was that I kept learning something and I was I was continually being challenged Mm -hmm. and I and I think the other thing that kept me going is, you know, when something hadn't been done before or somebody told me I couldn't do something or somebody told me that, you know, it's not good enough. Well, I was a lot more of a perfectionist back then. So if somebody told me 
you need to be able to do it stronger, faster, better or whatever. I just had to keep going until I got it mm-hmm. and not realising that there was, you know, what is stronger, what is better, what is faster. Um, you know, they're all kind of um, very subjective. Yeah, but I guess it's being a traditional martial art, I think that's just the way it was it was taught. Like if I tell you it's not fast enough or strong enough or you're just going to get better and better. Yeah. Yeah, I only realised that much later in life, though. (laughs) I I kept trying to attain this unattainable. Um, I think that's what kind of kept me going. Yeah. (laughs) Type A and the goalpost kept, as you would get closer, it kept pushing forward because, you know, you could always just get better and better. Yeah. That's right. You know, I I kind of reached my black belt and um, I did all that and I did, you know, the traditional karate Um, and then, you know, I discovered competition karate and it was like, oh, there's this whole new world that's opened up to me. And I really enjoyed, um, there are two, there are two parts to karate, to competition karate. There's the kata and the kumite. The kata is the forms, Mm -hmm. like prearranged, uh, sets of moves, like a dance almost, but they're karate moves. Mm -hmm. Um, they, they, they run for one or two minutes long, these, um, these cutters. And then there's kumite, the sparring and, I really enjoyed, I trained a lot of kata growing up, you know, that's the more traditional sort of side to it, but I really enjoyed competing in sparring and kumite and I just, yeah, I discovered sort of competition karate and I just wanted to be the best. I just wanted, I wanted to get onto that state team. I wanted to get onto the national team. I wanted to go and compete and I think that just kept me going. And then, you know, little things that happened to me along the way, good and bad, mm-hmm. mostly the little bad things that happened. I was like, oh, I want to get over that or, you know, and in the end it was like, well, I don't want other people to go through that. So, you know, maybe if I stay here, there's something I can do to to change that aspect of my sport. So. Yeah. Oh, I really like that. And my next question is about significant milestones. So that's where you can take us through some of those and, it's led you to being, it's, you're on the board of Karate Victoria, that's right? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So I, yeah, so I was an athlete. I don't, I think I may have gotten onto the state team. I was probably a really late developer in terms of um, when I started competing. A lot, mm-hmm. of, a lot of kids start competing at eight or nine years of age. Um, I didn't start competing till my late teens, early 20s. Oh. I can't even remember when I made my first state team, but it was probably in 96 or something or 97. I know that I I won, I made my first national team in 1999. So I've been on the national team for a long time. <laughs> um, so that was like a huge milestone because, you know, I, I remember it was the Women's World Cup in Japan and I'd never, like I never realised how many people did karate and, that there was this whole world of people representing their country in a sport. So that was exciting. I continued to compete and, you know, you have your good years and you have your bad years. And I think a turning point for me was, well, there a couple of things that happened. Oh, maybe I'll talk about the good and bad. I don't know. If you <laughs> yeah, good and bad. Um, so in 2000, the following year, I think I won nationals again that year, represented Australia again that year. But I started being bullied by a coach that year um, and that was the start of a 10-year-long battle with 
with being bullied by this particular individual. So that, and I think that had a really huge impact on how I got through it and where I am today and mm -hmm. why I'm doing what I'm doing today. Um, and it kind of took me 10 years to get rid of this individual. And it wasn't, you know, there were a lot of things that this individual did um, and, you know, and was in a position of, of power, I suppose. And I suppose, you know, male dominated sports, people are allowed to get away with, with things and things like that had never been dealt with before. And then there was this young girl who was kind of bringing all these things up. So that was a big thing for me that mm -hmm. year. And then in 2008 was another big year in terms of I didn't make world championships that year, even though I had the better record and the athlete that did end up going. Again, it was this same coach that had this huge impact on that decision. Um, and it had nothing to do with results or, you know, how good I was or wasn't and I decided that I was going to quit karate and I only quit for three months um, I just <laughs> I just couldn't I tried to look for something else that would give me the same sort of I don't know high or buzz um, mm -hmm. and I didn't and then I I came back the following year and I started competing um, and that year actually at the end of 2008 an old coach had approached me to become uh, state coach and now up until that point Karate Victoria never had any female coaches at all on its state team and you know we're a 300 we're, we're kind of 50 percent female mm -hmm. in terms of athletes now and I thought that that was really huge and I thought well yeah I'd, I'd love this and I think it's really important I never had a female coach growing up so it was myself and two other girls. So we were the, we were kind of the first three female coaches on the state team ever, um, which was huge. And then in 2015, I got onto the board of Karate Victoria. So before that, you know, I continued competing and coaching. My main focus was on the younger kids competing. Well, being an athlete and competing and training with the older ones, you know, you kind of, it's, it's kind of nicer to be able to coach the younger ones. Um, it's a lot more fun. <laughs> it is. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Look, um, I think the the kids that uh, we work with at Karate Victoria, they're just amazing. I just find them amazing. They're just so dedicated and, yeah, they're just amazing. They're just so committed and driven um, and want to do their best. It's like, you know, coaching's as you would know, it's just so satisfying. Yeah, and I, I continued competing in 2012. So yeah, I, I missed out on 2008, 2018 World Champs. I missed out on 2010 World Champs because I, you know, they alluded to the fact that I was too old and I probably wouldn't compete. So they didn't select anyone from my division. So I was distraught and I was like, mm, I don't want anyone to ever, I, I don't like, people telling people what they can and can't do. I, I think a coach is there to mentor, to help, to get the best out of you. I didn't think that I was still not competitive. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was being a coach, I never want to put any limits on any body that I'm coaching. Just because I haven't done something, whether it's because of 
my age or my ability or my gender or anything doesn't mean somebody else can't do it. As a coach, I'm there to try and help somebody get to where they want to get to or, you know, support them in that. I think that's what my role as a coach is. And being on both sides, I just didn't like where that stood and I didn't want to give up something because somebody else told me. So I continued competing and the head state coach at that time, and it was Bruce Highland, he's like, you can still do this. He just stepped up in my corner and I just had a few other people kind of step up and support me. And so then in 2012, I made the team to go to the world champs in 2012. And then and I won Oceana and I won a medal in um, Greece at a Series A tournament. I then qualified for World Games in 2013. So I was one of three Australian karate athletes that qualified. And then I won a bronze medal at those World Games. Wow. Now that was 2013. That was three years after the fact I was told I was too old and I probably would never continue in this sport. So <laughs> You showed them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I really think I th- really thought it was going to be a little bit more satisfying, to be honest. Um, but you know, it's more a personal thing. I was like, well, you know, I'm glad I stuck it through it and did it. Somebody at my age isn't too old to be doing mm-hmm. what you know what I'm doing. Um, and um, yeah, then I was also on the board. So uh, from 2015, um, which I'm a big believer that you know, you can complain about the way things are, or you can be part of the solution. So being on the board was really, it was all about, it was basically, I just thought that I had something to offer and I could improve things. Um, Having grown up and having in the sport and having done it for such a long time, I just thought I'd really like to help improve things. I don't like to use the word change people (laughs) are uncomfortable with change. So yeah, that's, I, I got into that. And I think we've improved things a lot. There's still a long way to go. Yeah, I was doing that. I was coaching, competing, working full-time as well. Yeah. And then I missed out again on world champ selections. Uh, Didn't get to the world champs in 2018. Nobody in my division again got into the world champs team, which was kind of disappointing because, you know, we had – the Olympics coming up in 2020 at that point, and those points were really critical. Going to world champs were really critical in helping to qualify for for Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the end of 2019, I was kind of like, oh, maybe I should, I think I'm done with competition, karate. You know, sport at that level is, and, and being in an, uh, not a very well-funded sport, it's not, you know, one of those big five sports that, that, you know, people make money from in Australia. I just thought, I think I'm done with spending all my money on my sport. But then I had some other friends on the team who were older athletes as well. And they're like, but you're likely to qualify for the Olympic qualifier mm-hmm. for Tokyo. And I was like, oh, they're like, you can do six more months at that point and I was like you're right I can do six more months but that six more months COVID came around in 2020 um turned into a year and a half but I was actually enjoying training through lot I mean it was hard you know we couldn't train we were in lockdown in Melbourne it was really tough but I I was enjoying my karate again 
obviously this year when things opened up again, our, our qualifiers kind of, obviously the Olympics got delayed until 2021 and I was feeling really good. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. And yeah, so a few weeks ago, me and six other teammates were went off to Paris to give ourselves a shot at making one of the spots for the Olympics. Unfortunately, all but one missed out. It's very tough. Olympics is very tough and mm -hmm. qualifying for the Olympics is very tough. It's not, it's not, you know, the best in every country in each division gets to go. Um, only 10 athletes in the world qualified for a division at the Olympics. Wow. Um, so lots and lots of, you know, world-class athletes missed out. It was disappointing, but also it was an amazing experience and one that I'm proud that I kind of stuck around and, and did. Yes, definitely. And you, you think of like that moment where you battled with that, that coach and that hard experience for 10 years. Like, did you think that you'd be sitting here now doing, you know, what you've done? No, look, I don't, I don't wish that kind of treatment upon anybody. I don't think anyone should be treated or um, go through anything like that. Um, but I think, you know, that experience is what kind of sort of made me persist. Mm -hmm. I guess it made me resilient. I don't know. And, my, and I think I think my parents have got a lot to do with it as well. It's, you know, they, they always pushed me to do better, be better, to never give up. And I think sport also kind of teaches you that as well. Yeah, I think that experience, it's that whole thing, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It didn't kill me. So it just, yeah, it, it kind of pushed me to, I, I'm always, I'm a big believer of you, you know, you should treat people the way you like to be treated. And I think if I, if I accepted that in my life and I accepted that behaviour, then that says something about me and mm -hmm. I didn't, that didn't sit well with me. So I guess I kept going because I think that sort of behaviour was unacceptable and I just wanted to to face that and, and, and do something about it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And I like that you have done it in the sense of like, yes, you kept competing, but also that you started to coach and then you coached kids the way you wanted to be coached or the way that, you know, you believed that they deserved to be treated, which was, you know, with a bit more respect <laughs> than you might've experienced. And then you have gone another step further. And now you're on the board making active changes towards the whole sport in general, in, especially in Victoria. So that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think our sport has also lacked diversity and I think that's all sports to be, to be fair and honest. Um, and I guess that's a very historical, you know, depending on where the sport comes from and how it was taught. And I think tradition is a, is a hard thing when something's taught a certain way or, or, a, you know, something is a certain way. It's like, well, why are you going to change it? Mm. What about change? It's just like, well, just because something was done a certain way decades ago does not make it right. So a lot of females are doing sport these days and I don't think it's good for females not to be represented, you know, whether it's playing a sport or running a sport or coaching a sport, you know, there are things I could, I could never talk to a coach about getting my period. Mm. And 
I was never made to feel comfortable about it. And when I did, or if I did say something, it was kind of like, oh, okay, you know, nobody knew what to do with that information. Whereas, you know, and, you know, we wear white in karate. It's a really horrible colour for females. Uh, so, you know, things, I had, a, I had a young girl come up to me at one of our national training camps and, you know, she'd got no period and she didn't, I mean, you know, bless her, I really lucky that I'm glad I was there and she was comfortable enough to approach me. I was there in um, being an athlete um, myself and I just, it, she had a fight off and I just, my heart just kind of went out to her and I was like, right, he had taken another pair of pants and yeah, it's just a shame that we didn't have another female there like a coach understand. to help her. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or um, and and that's just one little thing. And you know, females we tend to be a little bit more emotional, and we like to be coached a little bit different. Or so. it changes depending on the week. I know that there was weeks that I could be as a swimmer be pushed a little bit more, and like maybe the more um, assertive route and that my coach could you know say you're not going to do it if you don't do it this way and be a bit stronger with me and then there's weeks that if he did that I'd crack it a little bit and throw my goggles or my my goggles would well up because I'd be crying while I was swimming and you know that can change within 10 days because of the hormone levels in our bodies yeah 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 and I I feel like as a female I'm in tune with that Mm -hmm. um and you know I'm in a position where I can now speak to, you know, other male coaches and tell them about these things. But I couldn't do that when I was, when I was younger, I just didn't feel comfortable because that's not the environment I was brought up in, but I want to, you know, I want to normalize all these things. And I want to, I think there's a lot of great male coaches out there. They just don't know. So what wasn't normalized when they were growing up and when they were learning those skills of coaching. So like as females, like this is now our time to change that and to normalize it. And then any young male going through it, you know, going through those processes of coaching now, well, it's going to be easier for them to have those conversations with their female athletes because it's becoming more normal. Yeah, that's right. And I just think, you know, sometimes you just feel more comfortable being coached by a female or being coached by a male. Like there needs to be more females present, especially since we're trying to encourage more girls to participate in sports. We're trying to encourage more females to be in in certain positions, um, whether it's on boards and just like, you know, a lot of men have the belief that, you know, a female can't coach a senior men's team. Um, I don't believe that, mm-hmm. but, um, but they, they feel that they can coach a senior women's team. I, I have issues with that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's, we've, we're, and we're doing a lot of work now to break that stigma. It's probably been the last 10, 20 years, more so the last 10 and you can see things starting to change and it makes me really excited for the next 10 years. But yeah, I can definitely like relate to having maybe male coaches uh, and it was really early on when I said I wanted to be a coach, but I had a older male who was in his like sixties or seventies at the time saying I couldn't coach because I was a female and I was a young female. And this is swimming that has pretty equal representation in terms of its athletes. 
but I was told I couldn't coach because I was a female and a young female. And I always got stuck. Like when we did those little race night things, so like little mini competitions, um, I got stuck taking the money at the entrance. I was kind of like the door girl and I was never allowed to marshal and I was never allowed to, you know, do the starting gun or any of that stuff. And I remember having to go down generations until I found a male that said, okay, yeah, you can do this. Yeah, yeah, it's a real it's a real problem in in sports. Maybe it's a real problem in in you know all sorts of different um, mm. areas. Yeah, I I think there's a real there's ageism, there's a gender bias. Yeah, there's lots of little things that have been highlighted to me through sport um, yeah. that have made me want to be in positions where I can maybe help change perceptions. And it's not to say that all people like that are, are, you know, gender bias or age bias or anything like that, because, you know, you've had wonderful male in, in Bruce who gave you that chance and was like, no, you know what, you can do it. And there's been amazing males role models in my career, in my, um, my sporting journey that have gone, yes, Fiona, like you can do that. And they empower you and tell you, you know, maybe don't follow with, tradition (laughs) yeah yeah um and I think it's I think it's really important like you know for every bad person there are like 10 really good people yeah and I think if you're if if you kind of do things for you know with kindness and empathy that's the kind of um support network you're going to build around you and I think those people will then help sort of make you stronger and build you up and help you on your journey or and and get get what you want to get done done yeah um and I think if you're always aiming to to sort of help and improve things I I think you know in the end people want things to improve it's just some people just don't know that it can be done or that it can be done differently to what they've done it before so I think um but it take it takes a lot of persistence and breaking down a lot of barriers. Um, you've got to have a lot of patience and just, a, I guess, I don't know, a lot of will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the passion behind it has to be, you know, not just fleeting. It's got to be really strong and that you, you know, you're going to fight battles <laughs> metaphorically but you're going to yeah. you know fight these battles and come up against hurdles and you've just got to push past them yeah 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 and I think you know sport teaches you all those those skills um I don't think you realize what you pick up as you go through it mm-hmm. if, I think we were talking about this I think that's the thing with elite sport elite elite sport I think is kind of a selfish thing but you going through it I think at the coming out the other end, mm-hmm. that's when you kind of stop and think about, you, you know, your journey, what you've been through, how you got through it and, and how you can then pass on your lessons. Oh, I like and, that. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, elite sport has its good and it's bad. These extraordinary people trying to achieve these extraordinary things. It's so tough. As uh, I think Tora Bright won a silver medal at, I don't know whether it was world champs or Olympics or something. Um, and she's like, it's athletic warfare out there. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really tough. You've got, you know, and when you're in that world, 
you just think it's the be all and end all. And if you don't reach that gold medal or whatever it is, or standing on that podium, it's like, well, you know, look how many people are so good and you just can't reach that or what it's, it's just, but it's a tiny little bleep in the world. It's just a tiny little world that you're a part of when you come out and, you know, and it's all about me, 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 because it's like, you know, results, results, results. Yeah. And, you know, for a lot of people to get those results, they've got to be, they've got to be like that. hundred percent. I've never liked that. I've never, I wish going through at that level that I was a bit more like that. I'm very conscious that I don't like, I care. Sometimes I, I feel like it, not that there's a care too much, you can never <laughs> care too much, but I kind of, you know, was very conscious of the people around me and I never wanted to be that selfish person. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try and be the best at this sport without having to be that selfish athlete. Yeah. I don't know, maybe that's why I never made the gold <laughs> medal at, at World Champs. But I think elite sport teaches you these certain skills that if you come out on the other end, you can then pass on yeah. to the next generation. And not everyone has to be an elite sports person to um, get the benefits of sport. You know, some people are really content with just doing the sport, learning new skills, and just getting the best out of themselves. And that's really nice. That's what I love being a coach. I love seeing kids, you know, come in, they can't really do something, but they're really determined and they really want to do it. You know, you giving them one or two words or or some advice or trying to help them or mentor them, you know, and then you see them a year or young kids, it's like, it feels like it happens instantly. It's six yeah. months to a year and they've just dramatically improved and they're amazing. Yeah, but, you know, and then, you know, you see them five years later and they're doing so well and, and you've taught them skills and lessons that, you know, maybe they're not continuing in that particular sport, but I think there's kind of skills that they can take into every part of their life and help them navigate through life. So. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.